We are now recording. Okay, then. <clears throat> All right, five seconds. Welcome, everyone, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. That's where we are. And yeah. I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, if I, at some point in the future... Uh, go and start my own thing, right? Covering UCLA sports. Uh-huh. And you, as my former boss, you're supportive. You know, you, you're like, okay. But yeah, then you just, but then you you re- just assume that, Dave. You routinely beat my ass when, like, we're competing for stuff. But huh. then one time, I, I finally get you the upper hand, right? I've broken a few stories. And then you accuse me of illicitly acquiring those stories, paying for these stories, Wait, so I'm Nick Saban. And I'm Jimbo Fisher. And you're Jimbo Fisher in this scenario. Well, first off, Dave, I think I really know you. And I think you're a quality human being. And you wouldn't, you don't even have the capacity for the hypocrisy, the amount of hypocrisy that's going. I mean, they are dipped in hypocrisy. They are drowning in hypocrisy, both of these guys. But. Yeah, no, I started I started to do some work this morning and now I've been off on a I've been down the rabbit hole for at least 45 minutes because this is the best reality TV show in sports it's, that I've seen. It's the best press conference I've ever seen. How many times did he I we got to have a drinking game and we'll take a drink every time he says despicable or says state laws. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just first talk about, I know you said I fans, but you got to get into this because this is amazing stuff. Nick Saban. Remember, let's go back to my theory that human beings are not supposed to be celebrities. It's not, we're supposed to live in a group of what, about 30 people, just a little village of cavemen. When you become well-known and, uh, and have power, among millions of people, it affects your brain chemistry. Nick Saban's brain chemistry, I mean, they all are, but how he can, after winning national championships, winning so many recruiting annual battles every year, being number one, and come on, let's just say it, really, he's, it's not in the forefront of his mind that they cheat. I mean, he's either rationalized or it's just completely hypocritical or both. And then... He has the audacity, love that word, to call out Jimbo Fisher, his former assistant. There's so much going on. It's so beautiful. <laughs> with, with Nick Saban. I mean, wow. Do you th- is there one, and then is there one Alabama fan who sees through Nick Saban, or are they all just pretty much just licking his butt? Yeah, what was interesting was I thought um, Jimbo Fisher, the most insightful thing he said was when he uh, just dropped kind of casually the word narcissist about yes, Nick Saban. Yes, that was a good, yes, like, that was great. It, it, you would think like a word like that, I mean, maybe this is just me, maybe this is me being kind of um, uh, denigrating uh, the profession of football coaches, but I'm like, I wouldn't have thought that was in Jimbo Fisher's lexicon. Oh, like, okay. You're going there. The, the word yeah. and the thought of a of a narcissist, but you can obviously, if you know anything about personality disorders, see some obvious signs of narcissism with Nick Saban. I would say there's probably some more things that are a little bit more on the nose with him, but 
interesting. Interesting from a guy who worked for him. Like, the, the opening salvo from Jimbo Fisher, like the first minute of that press conference, is just, wow, these guys are not going to go golfing again together. Yeah. I, I want to go to the SEC media day. I mean, that'd be pure entertainment value. And usually in these things, what they do is they call out the act. Like, let's say Jim, Jimbo Fisher would said, this was a despicable act, right? But no, he went, he, he went, he, he went, went Saban's ad, character. Yes, yeah. Yes. He went, he went very literally ad hominem. Uh, God, the South. The South, it's just an amazing place. It's beautiful. It really it's is. I, I... This, more than anything else, guys, is why the Pac-12 is probably never going to quite measure up to the SEC. Because, no, it, look, it you can. might get the occasional yeah. crazy thing. Like, you might, like, look, when Jim Mora came to the, to the Pac-12, did it add a little bit of this? Like, a little bit? Because, you know, he had the potential to go crazy in a press conference? Absolutely. But you don't get the level of this. Like, this, well, this high-level, uh, you know reality TV show feel. Okay, there's that element, but then there's the other element of you won't get the high level of, let's say, cheating and hypocrisy that you get in the South. Except maybe, I mean, Lincoln Riley benefiting from, <laughs> benefiting from the transfer portal then turning around and saying the transfer portal is going to ruin college football? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of amazing. And uh, he calls out NIL, right? Yeah. And he bene- he's benefited massively from from NIL money. So that's the thing. This is what, and we've learned, this is what you do now in politics, in sports. Whatever you're the most guilty of, call it out in other people. Like I heard... Well, that's actually, that that well, to get specific with Jimbo, that's actually borderline personality disorder, not narcissistic yes. personality disorder. Yes, I heard like the, I think it was the ASU president at a recent meeting called out like <laughs> called out corruption in other football programs. <laughs> 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 oh my god, I I got to try this. I've never done this. I got to it's probably a very effective tactic, right? Yeah, it's the way to go. The way you to do go. something and then claim that everyone else is doing it and it's a horrible thing. But man, if you guys haven't watched, just at least watch Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, the, it's the it's, press conference. It is it is a good eight to ten minutes of uh, of time spent. Um, oh wow, it was fun. Well, we have a lot to talk about because uh, we do. There's a lot that's happened this week. There is. So UCLA football is actually recruiting here in May, uh, significantly so. You know, we've been we've been pinning a lot on our boy Ken Norton. But uh, in reality, they're they're bringing in a ton of official visitors, and this upcoming weekend is going to be maybe the biggest official visit weekend of the Chip Kelly era. No, it's the biggest. I think I think our boy Brandon. I haven't, but I'm going to rely on he went he went Brandon. perhaps its largest because I think. Oh, uh, are you kidding me? Usually he knows off like right now. If Brandon were right here, we could say. What weekend had the most official visitors under Chip Kelly? And usually he'd be able to tell you. Correct. Uh, this will have eight uh, official visitors. Um, I think that's the most. Yes. I do think that's the most. Yeah. So um, it's already been, I mean, if you've been paying attention, it's already been a, a really heavy month of official visiting. Um, heavy. Heavy. Uh, the last two weekends, I think they had, what, five and five the last two? Yeah. 
And shockingly, when you <laughs> when you go from years before when Chip Kelly refused to uh, uh, host official visits in spring, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, just yet another thing where it's like, um, why not? Like, why not take advantage of that opportunity? I can tell you what the rationalization was. I, oh, I, I remember the rationalization. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah, we want we want the visits closer to signing day. We want to get them on campus when there are, uh, uh, you know, during a football game. Yeah, all, all of all all of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, which. To me, was just like, yeah, you know what? I just don't want to do it now. <laughs> I just do not want to do it in May. I got things to do. Yeah. Got, when, got in, do. in reality, give the guys an opportunity to come in when they want to come in. And guess what? You've been more flexible and they're going to like you for it. So so let's give let's give credit where it's due. I mean, there aren't a lot. Of, let's You and I have experienced coaches and coaches don't change. They are rigid. They, you know... <laughs> we'll just keep doing the same thing over and over. I mean, they are the definition of insanity uh, a lot of times. Chip Kelly has changed. This is a clear change in his recruiting approach that he's doing this in spring. So give him give him some credit. I mean, I'm sure people have been in his ear for years saying he had to do this. And to his credit, he said, okay, I'm doing it. Um, yeah, eight... Eight visitors coming up this weekend, uh, and there are they'll have a chance with a lot. Now, I'm not saying they're going to get verbal commitments from these guys because you never want to make that prediction. But they're they're doing really well with a lot of these guys that are that are visiting. Um, Trey Edwards, the middle linebacker from Chula Vista, Modern Day. Why would you ever name your high school Modern Day? If <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want to talk to someone about that. But um, he's coming in. UCLA's been leading for him. Uh, the, well, you know what? Just overall, our guy, our guy Ken Norton, he probably needs to bring in three linebackers. And actually, I'm preparing a story for tomorrow. I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm actually going to predict the 2023 high school UCLA class. I don't think I've ever done this before because it's just absolutely foolish to do this at any time, much less in May. But now UCLA's, uh, they're shooting for 15 to 17 guys, maybe as opposed to 25 guys. So it's less of a crapshoot. And they are entertaining guys in spring. So it's a lot easier to know that they're doing well with some guys. And leading that charge is is Ken Norton. Uh, right now, he's offered, I think, nine guys, uh, eight guys in this class, which is, I think, like more than all the guys they've all the inside linebackers that they've offered by May in the last three classes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's already got Ty Lee on board, who I really like, long, athletic guy who projects probably at the will really can move like a Shea Bryant Strother type. Um, Trey Edwards is coming in. They've got a chance with, with Jerry Mixon who visited uh, last week, last week. Yeah. Last um, week. Uh, Kedu Luave. They have a really good chance with him. They've got a couple other guys that they're doing. I mean, 
He's offered eight. He might have a chance with five of them, like where he's leading her in the top two or three. Just let that sink in because that we have not felt that. I don't think in any position coach or position recruiting since sometime in in Mora's era and not even in his last couple of years. So it's been a while. No, I would say the last time. Try that on. Yeah, the last time um, that a position group was being recruited at that level by a guy was either Demetrius Martin or Adrian Clem. And yeah, I mean, that's that's the closest thing to what we're seeing from Ken Norton with the uh, linebackers right now. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's reason to be kind of excited here. Uh, it's made May very exciting compared to what May usually is uh, every year. Just following football recruiting. We're getting all these, all these stories uh, on the official visitors. And the one thing they all say, and I don't, think, I don't think they're being prompted to say it, they all come away with a real impression of the culture at UCLA, which is a very encouraging thing. I, I mean, if Chip Kelly set out to do anything, it would be, it would have been what he did was to change the culture. Yeah. And you would say that he has succeeded at that. The, the recruits uh, perceive it as a place and the type of guys that they'd like to be a part of. Yeah. That was obvious from um, who was it who said it very, I thought, well, Roderick Robinson um, in his, his recap, he talked about it and it sounded like it was, that was one of the big things for him, like one of the major things that he took away. Because usually you hear, oh, well, I was really impressed by the academics or I was really impressed by what this coach pitched me about, like, playing. But his was, oh, I was really impressed with the culture and all these guys and, like, they're, you know, good high care. Like, the, I think he said high character guys. That's <laughs> um, funny. Which, um, you know, you don't often see players, uh, recruits talking about that. But I think that... You know, you can make that as a selling point because, you know, I would note this is um, watching spring ball this year was uh, notable for a lot of different reasons for me. But it was, you know, first time I've watched that many practices in a row in, you know, five, six years. Um, There were no fights, none. Um, And if you remember back to the Mora years, like there was often just you know, dust-ups. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was every practice, but it was pretty damn frequent. Um, that's not happening. And I don't know, you know, some of that's, they're not doing contact, but I think some of it's just, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe it's higher character. Maybe it's just the culture. Maybe it's these guys like each other a lot more, whatever it is. Um, uh, but that was something that was notable. And I wonder if that's kind of part of the same deal. Um, yeah, it, it's there's something to say about it because... Uh, one of the, th- the things that we probably don't talk about too much and uh, people don't write about that much um, is managing programs. Uh, managing, just imagine if you're, you're managing 100 kids and 85 scholarship kids. Among those 85 scholarship kids, there are all these kids who think they're going to play in the NFL. Um, among the 85, you're going to have you're going to have some bad apples. You're going to have some guys who struggle academically, especially at UCLA. You're going to have guys who get on police blotters. You're going to have, and that's just the players. Then, then, then the parents who are probably worse, uh, and the relatives. And I mean, managing a college football program is a is a hellish job. I've I've been close to many football and basketball coaches, and 
what they talk about, you know, I just want to talk recruiting <laughs> and they want to give me the insight into what it's like to be a coach. And it can be hellish. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe what they got to deal with. And I've tried to emphasize it enough over the years, but I just don't think we have enough. If you can clean up a big amount of that, it really serves you well. First off, it keeps guys, it keeps guys academically eligible, which is, which is key. It gets you all good for with the APR. Uh, it gets you good with the university. If you're in good with the uh, academic committee, they feel good. They might let in some more silver bullets, be more flexible with you. Uh, and it's just less to manage overall if you have a good culture made up of good, high-character kids, which gives you time to do other things because that wears you down, having to deal with that. So that's something you can... Uh, I think that would be... Whenever we look back on Chip Kelly's time at UCLA, that would be our main takeaway. And I'd say it's, it's even more significant than a lot of people want to give it credit. Everyone's all just, I want to know what four or five stars are getting and how good they're getting. This all really contributes to how good they are on the field. Totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, do, is there anything specific else you want to touch on with football recruiting or... Um, um, maybe, maybe we should just uh, talk a little bit about the guys that are coming in. I mean, I touched on Trey Edwards is coming sure. in. Uh, I don't know if they'll get a verbal commitment from him. He's got, you know, I think some, uh, I, I don't think he's there yet, but you know, who knows the magic of Ken, of Ken Norton. Malachi Crawford is the four star defensive back that, um, I'm really First, glad you went with Malachi because I was I was you were going to say Malik. I was going to do it, and I I didn't feel good about it. That would have I just would have I would have ended this right now. Yeah, it wasn't going <laughs> um, to be good. Good. Uh, first verbal commitment for this class, then of course decommitted. But UCLA is still right there, and if you talk to some people, they think UCLA is doing really well with him. And I mean, he's he's got some big time national programs, including USC on him pretty seriously. Uh, Elijah jacket an offensive tackle. I like three-star guy. I think should be maybe a little higher than that. Maybe on the edge of four star six, seven two eighty. 280. UCLA's probably leading for him right now. Uh, Simeone Pale, which they're probably not leading for whom they're probably not leading for uh, an offensive inside uh, interior offensive lineman. Let's do away with whom. We don't whom. need whom. No, I like whom. No, whom is whom is crap. No, it's, no, it's like nonsensical. You I'll don't never need get it. rid of whom. You don't need no. it. No, no, it, it doesn't. It, it's unnecessary. It's a vestigial limb. Cut it off. Okay, you do that in your life. <laughs> it's worthless. Um, Ethan O'Connor, uh, uh, defensive back. I, from what I'm hearing, UCLA is looking really good with him, if not leading. Luke Becklenko, 6'7", 300-pound offensive tackle from Oaks Christian. UCLA's been leading, but uh, uh, Washington just offered his mom. Went to Washington. I think she was the volleyball coach. Can't remember, but she went to Washington, and they just offered. So that could change that up. But officially visiting. Uh, Raymond Polito, an in, 
He's ranked as a tackle, but he probably projects inside. Uh, he's 6'6", like 350. Lost a little weight there, Dave. Down from down to 350. Probably projects as an interior offensive lineman. UCLA's a guy I think I've heard leading for him. Um, and then AJ Fui Maono, who's from uh, out there in Las Vegas area, defensive tackle. Uh, UCLA's leading for him. He doesn't really have any uh, other offers that are at UCLA level. I think they're if he can get through academics, uh, they'll probably take his commitment. So uh, you guys should all tune in starting on Sunday, Monday. There there could be some fireworks coming out of this uh, official visit weekend. Yeah, and you know what? Big shout out to UCLA for bringing in all these official visitors. Not only for UCLA's football recruiting, but for our content production. It's been great. <laughs> It's been great. Do it. If not anything, do it for us. Come on. I mean, you owe us. Yeah, because I know those all those most of the people in the football program think about us all the time. They love us. <laughs> love, love, love. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so that's good. That's great. Um, if we're going to keep talking about football, there's some other stuff that's kind of related. How about the Pac-12? Kind of came out of nowhere. Usually I hear it bubbling up, but they they passed this new thing that uh, within the conference are going to take the two uh, teams that have the uh, highest percentage, winning percentage, and they'll play in the Pac-12 championship game. So I guess there still is a North and South because you'll play predominantly those teams. But there kind of really isn't, I guess. You wouldn't, and what are they going to do? Are they going to be? Are there will never not be any north and south uh, standings anymore? There's just going to be a Pac-12 standing by percentage, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it gets fleshed out. Uh, not the next two years, because I think the schedule kind of. Well, this year for sure has to be set, but. Um, I'd like to see them get weird and wild with the scheduling now that the divisions don't really matter. Um, like, start doing some, like, weird flex scheduling. Like, don't schedule half the season. Wait to watch the first, you know, four or five games of conference play and then schedule essentially a playoff um, between the best teams. Um, that would be so cool. I mean, well, they would never do the, it, but we, that would be so cool. What did we learn from the COVID year? It doesn't matter. You, I've you, learned two, so much. Two days of notice. Okay, we'll play a game. Like all that crap about oh you need like seven weeks to like plan for a game you need to you need to schedule games twelve years in advance no 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 uh, that they just said that because it's again number one default for all coaches and it's all human beings really but it, we see it in coaching whatever is the easiest that the less amount of work and that was just the narrative they always said because they didn't want to have to work more and harder yeah. And, and that's what they did during COVID, and they were fine. But let's get let's get wet and wild. But um, I like the idea of uh, doing the two best teams. Um, it's gonna be, it's still gonna have an, an element of unbalanced or imbalance to it because um, of the schedules. Uh, the North is probably, I mean, I think will be a little bit weaker than the South this year. Though I don't know the the hard middle no, of the uh, North might be better, but. Uh, you never effing know, but you never I mean, know. if you're just looking at it, you'd have to think so. Yeah. yeah. So we're it, in May. So it's still, 
I think there's there's a slight benefit to say UCLA in this argument because they don't necessarily need to beat Utah this year, but they still have to play Utah. So that means there's still a potential loss. They still have to play USC and both Utah and USC, given all the acquisitions USC has had on the transfer market, might be better than any team in the North this year. Um, and so that's, that's a challenge. Um, so I think once they can get the schedule fitted to this same model, which will be, again, I think a matter of ditching divisions and going to some sort of, um, live scheduling model or something, um, that's when it'll, I think, truly and truly allow for some parity and not have just north and south clashes. Because I think it's still going to event, it's still going to essentially end up with a north south clash most years. Yeah, and I mean for this upcoming season, you'd have to say it benefits UCLA, USC, and Utah. Because if you're gonna, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. Who knew Utah would be this good last year at this same time? But that's all we have to go on. So you'd have to say. Let's just rank it. Utah's probably number one, I'd say. Number two is up for grabs. Everyone throws in Oregon, but dude, that's a new coach, new system. Uh, they have talent, but they've got a lot of question marks personnel-wise. Um, but let's just say, I mean, UCLA, USC will have a lot of talent, and Oregon are all on that second tier, so that's the top four. So you got three from the south. So it will obviously benefit well, UCLA, the, the USC, issue, the, and Utah. The issue is Oregon doesn't have to play the South. They only have to play UCLA and Utah, and they get them both at home. Um, and then it's Arizona and Colorado, who, you know, that's who they are. Oregon already benefited from the way the schedule was made to um, – so it, it depends on what team what, – what each team has scheduled um, because – you know, UCLA's schedule, they have to play Oregon and Washington. Um, so it's just, I, I, I don't yeah. know that it's as yeah. simple as saying these teams are better. Oregon still plays the relatively weak North um, in right. six of their conference or in five of their conference games. Okay. Well, let's just say those are the top four. And despite their schedule or how easier, I, I mean, if three of the four are from the South, it, it benefits this new rule will give those three from the South a better chance. Well, yeah, because they wouldn't have to, a chance otherwise. The, yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good development for UCLA, you got to think. Um, the other thing that happened, uh, the NCA uh, is passing a rule for um, no, uh, no limit on annual counters coming... Was that, you know what? I haven't even read. I don't think it's, I don't know that it is official official yet. It's just yeah. one of the initial guidelines and they have to pass it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a no limit. Um, so if you find yourself well below 85, even, you know, 25 or more below 85, you now can make it up in a single cycle with a bunch of JCs with a bunch of, you know, mixing and matching, moving guys around between classes um, and you won't avo you will avoid the situation that I think the example that keeps getting floated is Kansas, um, which was down to about 40 scholarship players. And it took them essentially like eight cycles before they were actually able to get up to the number. Um, UCLA is another one. I mean, when Chip Kelly came in and um, the roster uh, by hook and by crook, he had the roster down to about 50 scholarship guys. Um, it took several cycles before it was back up to around 85 
um, you wouldn't necessarily need to do that now. Um, so it's a return more or less to what um, uh, we were looking at in the early 2010s. Um, if you remember, I mean, Mora had a couple of classes that were well over where they oversigned, but then that oversigning became something you couldn't do nearly as easily. You had to do a bunch of weird stuff to make to allow yourself to oversign a little with um, blue shirts and all that other crap, uh, gray shirts and whatnot. Um, it will probably benefit UCLA because as we've been writing, UCLA has lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal and just isn't bringing in those type of guys. I mean, they could have they could have 10 scholarships open for this coming season. They would be... You're limited by 25 every year, but that went to 32 if you lost at least seven through the transfer portal. Now that's all unlimited. But as you've made the point before, there's kind of a limit on how many tra- quality transfer uh, transfers that are good enough to play at UCLA that are good fits for UCLA that can get into some kind of academic, either undergrad or grad program at UCLA there's only a certain, there's a finite amount. In some years, like this year, there weren't that many as there were opposed to in other years. You made that point that no matter what, I mean, how many transfers can UCLA find? If with, with unlimited amount, it could bring in. I mean, it will never probably be able to find over 20. Right. I'd be, we'd be shocked. It would be a very highly unusual year. You'd have, I mean, they're, they're bringing in 12 this year. Uh, let's say 50, 15 or 16, let's say. Um, they could bring in 15 to 17 high school prospects, at least that if they have a really good season. So UCLA will, will be able to hope, make up for the scholarships it has open and get closer to its 85. So that will, it will more or less benefit UCLA, this new rule, in, uh, in the immediate future. Right. Um, but really interesting. Um, well, I think the biggest benefit is going to be to anyone who has a coaching change. Um, anytime yeah. you have a coaching change and guys are transferring out, um, being able to, and especially with the new transfer portal rules, the reality of the situation is that guys are going to come over with the new coach um, from wherever he was. So um, being able to do that without... Um, without penalty will make transitions a lot easier. We'll probably make um, rebuilding jobs a lot easier um, and a lot quicker um, and make it so that, well, and also it's going to raise expectations for first year coaches for sure um, because they will be able to remake the roster a lot quicker um, than in previous years because the combination of uh, no limits on the counters plus free transfer for everybody um, Free transfer for everybody. Well, and that's where this is going. I mean, it's not even going to be a free one-time transfer. It's going to be a free transfer whenever you want here pretty soon. Um, That is going to make it nuts and better, I think. It's going to make it so there isn't this transition period and we will put more pressure on coaches to actually perform in their first years. Yeah. Um, Overall, I think it's going to... I know what they're trying to do because they had a lot of complaints from college from coaches saying we're down scholarships and we we can't re- we can't replace them because of what you're saying. But don't you think it will just further encourage uh, uh, further encourage transfers? 
Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Program programs like right now, if this were in place, UCLA should, I think, go out and sign five iffy transfers. You never know. I mean, they might give you depth. They might be able to play for you. They, I mean, I lost count. Where are we at? UCLA has eight or nine available. Yep. Go out, go out and find some guys that could play for you that, you know, would welcome a UCLA scholarship offer. I think that will happen more, and that will motivate more players who are on the fence about yeah. transferring to transfer. Agreed. So, so crazier good. stuff, right? Yeah, lots of fun times. But I think overall will benefit. I think all the rules will benefit UCLA, even short term and probably long term. Yes, attractive destinations, which UCLA remains, uh, will continue to benefit. Yes. Um, um, hi, Dave. I we just said that at the same time, so you owe me a rum and coke. That sounds fine. Um, we have another sport. We do. There's another sport. It is called, I believe, um, checking the notes, basketball. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a basket of some sort and a ball. Um, in that sport, um, there's an interesting development this week. Uh, Jules Bernard, um, fifth-year guy, uh, he was going to the uh, G League elite camp. Um, and actually performed really well. Um, I think that was Monday and Tuesday or Sunday and Monday. Um, and Monday, did really, really well. Um, was, I think, the leading scorer in the last game, but um, averaged like 17 points. But he did not uh, ultimately get the call up to the NBA draft combine, um, which, I mean, it, it, reading these tea leaves, makes it much, much, much more likely that he is returning to school uh, because if you don't get invited to that combine, the odds of you getting drafted are pretty slim. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I got to say, Jules Bernard is easily... Uh, Jules Bernard, Tiger Campbell, and Jaime Jaquez are easily three of my favorite Bruins in the last 20 years. Um, Jules Bernard mostly... Because not only how tough mentally and physically he is, but where he came from. Yeah. I mean, he has improved dramatically. So I I have to admit, I mean, I want UCLA to be really good. It only benefits me for UCLA. But, but uh, I really wanted to see him have a great camp, get asked to stay to the draft combine, and just rip it up and get drafted somewhere in the second round and, and live the dream because that dude deserves it so much. So I'm, I'm a little, I understand it. And my evaluator talent scout completely understands it 100%, but I'm pissed. He played really well for two games two uh, two days. He was probably among the handful of best performers in two days. And he didn't. He didn't get the the invite invite to stick around in Chicago and play in the combine. And not only that, I think it's it's also it's also saying something. It's he can play really well for two days, be among the best at that camp, uh, show he's physically tough. He's an NBA player in terms of mentality and physical toughness. But he's just, he's not 
he's not an NBA prospect. Yeah. And, and, and I think, that's the mess. You know, we all thought it was, but now this kind of confirmed it. And I know he probably is thinking, I just got to work on some stuff. I got to work on going right. I got to do this. And that's true. And that will help incrementally. But I think this is a real judgment that's hard. That's going to be hard to ever shake. Yeah. And I think so for him, I think it's, yeah, get a little bit better with your right hand. But I, I do think there's some stuff to take away from this. And I, I think the reality is it wasn't going to be his performance. It's his, I mean, he's got four years of of, of uh, data um, for teams to go on. And that's going to dictate it. And I think the main thing that he can do, just looking at him as a player, and if you are trying to project him to the pro level, he absolutely has to become a lockdown or knockdown three-point shooter. And he's not right now. He's a 35% career shooter, which is good, but it's not great. He needs to be like close to 40% on five attempts per game this year. If he does that, he could be a second rounder, end of the second round at some point. Um, and there's potential there. I mean, he's a, he's become a much better free throw shooter. He was over 80% this past year, and that's a good indication that he's got the the ability to become, you know, kind of those guys who have automatic form uh, from the three-point line. Um, but that's the, I think if you were trying to project him as an NBA player, that's the, that's the thing that he could maybe do. Cause he's got the height to get his shot off, um, at that level. Um, if he can become a really, really, really good shooter. And right now he's just a good shooter. Yeah. Kind of breaks my heart. Yeah. But, but that's something that, so here's the thing that actually aligns with what UCLA needs from him this year. So I think it's actually yeah, a true. really good marriage um, for a final year in college where, okay, Jules, spend the entire offseason in the gym taking all sorts of three-point jumpers, you know, on the move, catch and shoot, all sorts of stuff, um, and become good at all of them. If you do that, yeah. you're going to be first, like the number two option this year, um, and second, you might actually become a you know a draftable prospect and the number two option on a team where opposed to a team where johnny juzang was the number one option right <laughs> is is a is significant yeah um yeah He'll, he's gonna get a lot more opportunities totally yeah i mean i'm i'm not giving up on our guy jules but yeah. Not. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a long. I mean, it's going to be a, a big stretch to get him there. Um, but I think at this point, I mean, obviously he's going to make money playing basketball. Um, just you know, if you had to guess right now, probably not in the NBA. Um, yeah. So, but we'll see. I mean, and I think he's. This is a situation where how many times have we seen a guy who comes back to school to fix some deficiency in his game that actually doesn't fit with what UCLA needs out of him. Yeah, this is a situation where I think it actually does, because I think the only path for him is to become like a lights out shooter. And I think he yeah. has that potential and it would seriously align with what UCLA needs out of him. Yeah, it's not like a post player that's decided he, he's he going to take jumpers shoot. now yeah. Yeah. or, yeah. you know, Luke. Think about Luke. If he had just been the th been the rebounds and defense guy his entire career. I mean, it's not as if he wasn't his last two years. He was still pretty good in those areas. But he tried to start taking jumpers because that's the feedback he heard. 
Um, God, do you remember that? I do. Ugh. And it's like, for your career... Whoa, no, what? Yeah, no. for your career, you need to become a better shooter. Yes. For UCLA, it would be better if you planted yourself about three feet from the basket at all times. Could you do that instead? So, what did he shoot in... I'm looking it up really fast, but you're better at looking up that. What did he shoot in the in the NBA? Uh, he became a slightly better shooter, but he wasn't great, ever. I'm, I'm looking it up. Damn, he's been in the NBA. Wow. Yeah, he spent he's forever in the, in the NBA. NBA. A long He ended time. up shooting 33% from his career from three on about one attempt per game. He had one year where he shot 30% on three attempts per game. Um, like, he became better. I mean, he, he was, he was. I think. He shot almost 40% when he took one and a half shots in 2016-2017. Yeah. No, I mean, he was. Uh, a lot that's, I mean, come on. That's that's a lot better. It's a lot but. better. Um, but never at the college level. Um and he was like never a technically good shooter. I mean, he was still that long. He was stroke. a 66% shooter from the free throw line for his career. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I think there's, um, there's an argument to be made that this is a, um, not only like you're getting Jules Bernard back, but I think you're getting a Jules Bernard who's motivated to advance his game. Um, and we're saying they're getting him back. There's been no announcement yet. Um, he may want to explore other options as well, but, um, this certainly, Puts more wind in the sails that uh, UCLA will have him back this year. And I think if uh, sources around UCLA were pretty confident that if he didn't feel he had an NBA option, he would return. It wouldn't like he'd he'd decide to go to Greece. Yeah. So um, that because he's still, uh, I think his degree. I think he could graduate at the end of this year. Right. But it's not a hundred percent certain i mean he might be able to use a quarter or two to extra to get the degree right which we all did we all do it it's fine jules feel no shame no shame Uh, feel proud i'm very (laughs) proud of my seven years of college um but uh, it's so funny because we look at the we look at national opinions where uh, when johnny juzang was returning when they had him before he made his decision you say i was ranked one two now ranked eighth, ninth, so much better team. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I like it that way. Let's 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 uh, lower expectation a little. Ranked seventh or eighth, and and uh, we'll go to war with these guys. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, this is I, I keep analogizing it to that. Um, uh, that second year, the second final four year for Howland, where UCLA lost Farmar, and everyone was like, "Oh God, they're going to be terrible," or not terrible, but they're going to take a real step back because you know he was the engine. And it was like I felt like I was taking crazy pills because I just watched the previous season. I'm like, uh, Darren Collison was, if not better, um, certainly right there in the conversation with Jordan Farmer that entire year, and played like 18 minutes a game. Uh, they're going to be fine. They're going to be better than fine. And then uh, I think they blew out whoever was Georgia Tech in the Maui game. I made so much money on that game. It was great. <laughs> and Darren Collison uh, punched out. Uh... Yeah, I mean, alpha dog. Alpha. <laughs> Jordan Farmer in a practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, uh, he should have just taken his starting job right then. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so we've talked about it before. So UCLA's in the market for a transfer, but you know, unlikely because you 
if you first off, if you're a transfer and you're looking at this, you're saying, okay, so you've got, and let's say you're not a post player, you're a wing. You've got three returning starters in Campbell, Bernard, and Hawkes. And then the other starting wing position, Jalen Clark is the natural guy to step in there. But you've got Amari Bailey, a five-star freshman, along with, you know, Will McClendon and David Singleton. They'd have to say, I don't see a clear path to starting here. Um, and then, so really, the kind of guy that might fit would be someone who says, hey, I'm willing to play 20 minutes a game, if there are 20 minutes. Or... I'm willing, I'm a, you know, sophomore and I just want to be at UCLA and I'm willing to sit, you know, play 10 to 15 minutes a game and sit and wait for my chance to start next year. So in other words, and someone who fits UCLA academically fits, you know, Cronin looks, will look at him and say, is that kid tough enough physically and mentally? Um, so after you get through all those criteria, there just aren't that many guys in the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be hard. I mean, I think, I think we should all prepare our minds for the reality that they're more than likely going to go into the season with the 11 that we know about, including Jules Bernard. Um, and that's again, going to be a damn good team. I mean, if you think about it, Tiger Campbell, Jules Bernard, Jalen Clark, Jaime Hawkes, and probably, I think probably a Dembona. That's my guess too. Yeah. Is the starter by the beginning of the season. Um, so, you know, throw out the post rotation. That's a Dembona and Mac Eddian playing 40 minutes. Um, Tiger Campbell plays, you know, his 30, right? Uh, Dylan Andrews probably gets at least a chunk of that, um, at least by the end of the season where he's playing probably, you know, at least eight of those, if not fully 10, but Cronin will still probably feel secure with Jules Bernard getting some backup point guard ball handling minutes. Um, Jaime Hawkes is at his 30. And then you've got Jalen Clark, Amari Bailey, Will McClendon, who I keep hearing uh, that everyone loves, <laughs> who saw him play before he tore his ACL, and David Singleton. So that's a very manageable rotation. I mean, basically what it really is, is Jalen Clark and Amari Bailey are probably splitting those 40 minutes, wouldn't you say? Well, so I think you're going to see... Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see... Um, David Singleton's going to have to get his, like, 10. Like, he'll be allotted 10, and it'll work out to 15 because of, like, injuries and foul trouble and all that kind of stuff. I think with Bailey and Clark, they're going to end up playing, like, a combined 50 per game would be my guess. Uh, okay. Some... Because you got the 10 behind Hawkes, and let's say Bernard starts at the 2, you got his 10. Yeah, and that's... I think there's going to be um, some mixing and matching. I think there might be some lineup changes... I think Bailey and Clark are probably going to each have have some time starting and each have some time off the bench. It kind of depends on what the lineups demand. Um, but I think any situation with Tiger, Jules, and Jaime back means each of those guys are playing 30 minutes a game. Right. And then, I've, like I said, the wild card is Will McClendon. It, uh, from what I've heard, if he were healthy, 
and not coming off an ACL, even though I've heard he's well ahead in his recovery. In this lineup, I mean, he, he would get 15 minutes is what I've been told, a healthy McClendon. So, yeah, I mean, well, you want to be greedy because there are two scholarships available here. This is this is really a, a nice rotation that it, you have here. It really is. And I think the, the big competition is going to be between um, Mick Cronin and his desire for no turnovers and figuring out what to do with Dylan Andrews and Amari Bailey because they're going to turn it over because they're freshmen. Tiger Campbell is a freshman turned it over. But you're going to have to play them minutes. Um, and so I think that's going to be interesting to watch is what he does with a mostly veteran roster because he's getting Tiger, Jules, and Jaime back, but a super talented guy in Amari Bailey who is going to make mistakes simply because he's a freshman. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be interesting to watch because will that limit Amari Bailey to 20 minutes per game, which is not – 20 minutes per game is fine. Like, if, playing a five-star 20 minutes per game on a veteran team, that's fine. Like, that's not going to, you know, destroy anything. But are you going to be comfortable getting him those 20? And that's uh, – I, 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 Yeah. Uh, everyone is trying to to figure this out coming off of watching Peyton Watson, another five-star. But all five-stars are not equal. And all five-stars, I'm not even talking about talent level. I'm just talking about readiness to play in college, different position, just a different player, 100% altogether. All so Amari Bailey is going to be far more ready to play. Oh, sorry, I'm... I'm- so I'm talking about something very specific, which is backup point guard minutes, because those are essential to getting uh-huh. guys minutes. So you don't think he goes for Jules Bernard and because that's his... Well, no, I think he goes net. for Jules Bernard because Jules Bernard is not going to turn the ball over. Yeah, Dylan Andrews exactly. and Amari Bailey splitting those 10 behind, Kai, uh, be, behind Tiger. That's the question mark. Like, are you going to be comfortable giving those guys that combined 10? Because that's how you get Amari Bailey 25 minutes. That's how you get Dylan Andrews his 10. Um but what I like about this mostly, because we're all this is all just hypothetical projection and it never works out this way. As you said, you made the point, David Singleton, 10, but because of the injury, 15. Uh, all these guys, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be different issues, there's just going to be things. And the fact that Amari Bailey can play a wing spot but backup point guard, Jules Bernard obviously has done backup point guard uh, Will McClendon going in when he was coming into UCLA was billed as somewhat of a combo guard. Jalen Clark, I mean, he play, he's, a, he's a small forward, but he can guard a two guard and he can give you, as we've seen, he easily would be able to play that wing forward well, position well, behind Jaime uh, Hockey. And, and we have, we have uh, memory hold this, but when he was doing his little surge thing in the middle of the season where he looked like the best player on the team he was doing a little bit of lead guard stuff. Like he was yeah. the guy who was handling the ball up top. Um, yeah. Literally can play anywhere on the floor. You need him. The flexibility I really like to see, and this would be out of, I doubt it's going to happen. And I've talked about it before and people in the forum have kind of run with it is what is a Dem Bona at the, at that wing forward, which is the traditional power forward. Um, I know the staff thinks they want a shooter at that spot um but i mean Arquez really isn't a great shooter and he does pretty well there I, and, i'm going to fight you if you continue to steal minutes from my 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 jalen clarks 
Yeah. And that's what you're yeah. doing when you suggest Adam Bo- Ad- Adem Bona as a, <laughs> as a wing forward. You're, you're stealing Dang. minutes from my guy. Dang, just thinking about that, though. I mean, having that size Stop. and athleticism. Stop stealing minutes from my guy. Wow. No, but I, I and I'm I'm kidding on the fun though. I'm really fun. This is fun because honestly, to get Jalen Clark the appropriate minutes, you might actually have to give him some five. Um, yeah. Because uh, I don't think you can you can make those guys move down. I don't think you're going to be seeing twin post stuff this year because the minutes are just tough. Like even with this roster the way it is, because there are so many veterans back, and we know Mick Cronin so well now that the 30 we're projecting for each of these guys is probably undershooting. Um, these these three guys are <laughs> yeah. probably each going to play 32 to 34 minutes a game. And that's where this all comes in. He has to trust some of these younger guys to get him to 29, to get his guys that he relies on at 29 to 30. Not just to give these guys, the other guys, more playing time, but to rest up Campbell, Bernard, and Hawkes. They Just putting in 33 throughout the season... It'll wear you down. Agreed. But anyway, it's a fun problem to have. and Fun we... problem to have. And then there's the whole thing about, uh, you know, he told Ben Bolch, LA Times, that they're going to press. Yeah, they're not going to do that. <laughs> it's a funny thing. This is the biggest curiosity, I think, of Mick Cronin since he's been. I know, I know he wants to do that. And he thinks he has the personnel to do that. But you're highly skeptical he will do that. Yes, very, very skeptical to the point where I think it's um, a literal laughing matter uh, to discuss it. <laughs> um, no, uh, they don't change their spots. Uh, ben Hallen talked about this every damn offseason. Oh, we're going to be faster. We're going to be more loose and uh, whatever. No, you're not. Um, and that's the same thing here. And it's fine. I love that they talk these things because they've got their, you know, you know, semi-insecurities about being perceived as slow-down coaches and that sort of thing. It's not going to happen. Not going to press. 100%. They, they, they will do, like, infinitesimally more zone press this year. It will have no resemblance to anything anybody is thinking of when they hear press. It's not going to be something that's, like, instigating a bunch of steals in the backcourt. It's going to be one guy standing there, like, sort of being around the ball while they walk it to half court. That's it. So, there you so go. So, Dave just texted me and said, we got to go. Dave, I got to go. We got to go, Tracy. <laughs> you texted me and said, you got to go. And then I said one last thing, and then you talked for another 45 seconds. <laughs> Look, man, you left it for me, and I'm not going li- to leave the people hanging. That's why I love you. Okay, let's get out of here. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Burn Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time. See you later.